Well, the Lord is good, and, and uh, I feel like we're coming home, too, every time we're at Family Life. It, uh, I know there are a lot of churches that we go through across the country on our two trips home each year, but there is, there's really nothing like Lafayette. I think all the apostles were born here, you know, and then, then were brought over to Jerusalem or wherever. But um, there's just nothing like being here and being with you, and, and uh, man, we've got some old... Oh, old friends here that, that uh, just have been part of us for so many years. But the reason we love to come here is not just because of you, it's because of your worship. And, you know, our children love to worship in Guatemala, but there is absolutely nothing like worshiping in English with people that just love the Lord. And this is an exciting place for us to be. I'm going to share a few things with you today about Guatemala. If you look up there, these are the highlands of Guatemala, and the Lord has blessed us to be able to build many churches in Guatemala over the last 24 years, and, and uh, we love to go to the highlands. We don't get to go often now because of the number of children that we have. Go on. This is uh, not far from our home. You'll see the volcano in the background, and that clock that you're looking at is at 3.30. In 1976, there was a huge earthquake not more than five miles from our home, and that that uh, actually had two volcanoes. One's called water, and one's called fire, and they both erupted at exactly the same time, at 3.30 that afternoon, and there was a major earthquake in Guatemala, but it was the earthquake that opened the door for Christians to be able to come. Before that, uh, the country was extremely closed because of the military and because of the Roman Catholic Church. And so the gospel was not allowed to come into Guatemala. But with the earthquake and the volcanoes and the destruction that it brought, it opened the door for us to be able to go in. And people from all over the country went in with the gospel as well as with food and medicine and everything else. But this is about 10 miles from our home. Dot. And here's one of the ruins. Uh, Guatemala is filled with ruins of pyramids, ancient pyramids and the Mayan Indians, and many of our children are Mayan Indians, Dottie. Here are some of the ladies um, that live in our area. Go on. And this is one of the most difficult things that we have to deal with. These are the Mayan Indians, and they have a mixture of Mayan religion with the Catholic Church. And so you, when you look at that, you can see that there's various uh, saints pictured and, and candles and etc. But at the same time, there are also sacrifices of chickens and, and other things and etc. Go on. But this is today. And I want you to just look at what God is doing and how you can help us. And it has nothing to do with money. So just relax and listen. Donnie, that's us. Go on. <laughs> This was our first Christmas picture in 89, and many of you have watched this change over the years. And two of the little blonde-headed kids up there are sitting over here somewhere. Our daughters are here this morning. And, uh, but they were little bitty blonde girls in those days. And as you've heard me say many times, we... Our faith was that we would have 25 to 30 children over the years and raise them and God had tremendous vision far above anything we thought. And 
And of course, many of the children that are in that first few pictures are now adults, married, have their own children. Over 30 of them are now on staff at our home. Two of them that you supported at the very beginning, Alex is now on staff along with his wife, Sarah. But this is this year's Christmas picture that you just received. So you can see what God has done over the years, Dottie. And now we have surpassed 4,200 children. And actually, it's more than that. And I'll share with you what has happened in just the last two months. Go on. But I want to dedicate what I'm about to share with you with two precious children. Anthony was five years old and Maritza was 12. Many of you, Daddy, many of you remember Anthony from last year. He was the little boy that they called me about and said that he had a in need of a, of a kidney and there was no way that he could get a transplant. And when I went to the hospital, I told the doctor, I do not want to take a child that I know is going to die rapidly. I'm not made for that. And when I went to the hospital to see Anthony, the doctor talked me into doing it. And I saw him, the Lord spoke to me and said, Mike, don't let him die by himself. And you will remember that we took him into our home. And when he he was dying over the last month or so, he was thirsty all the time. He was begging for water and he was always telling me he's thirsty. And when he died and we buried him, I cried for two weeks. My wife will tell you I cried constantly for two weeks. It it, It just destroyed me to bury such a precious little boy. And when he died, and, and I just couldn't get over, and the, and the words haunted me. I couldn't go to sleep at night. I kept thinking, should I have given him water? Should I have let him drink more water? Knowing that he was going to die, should I have just let him have more water? And one night, about four in the morning, one of our boys came and beat on the door, and he said, Daddy, Daddy. And I opened the door, and I thought somebody was sick, and I said, Aroldo, what's wrong? And he said, I heard a voice during the night say, Aroldo, and I woke up and I went to the door, but nobody was there. And I went back to bed and I heard the voice again, Aroldo. And when I went back to the door, it was empty again. So I stayed in bed. I knew it was the voice of God. And as I was laying in bed, I heard a voice from heaven say, Aroldo, and I looked up and it was Antony and he had his hand behind his back. And from behind his back, he pulled out a jug of water and he said, tell daddy I'm not thirsty anymore. I've got the living water. But the reason I tell you that story again is because of this picture. Go on. This is Maritza. And we buried Maritza just three months ago. But Maritza was born again. She came to our home dying with no hope of having a kidney transplant. And... She was led to the Lord by one of our boys. One of our children told her about Jesus and she received the Lord. When she died, I kept thinking about what Anthony said about the living water. And it opened up my heart in a way my heart had never been opened before. Because we can't save every child. There's not anything we can do about children that are that are in this condition. But what God has done because of Anthony and because of Maritza is, go on Donnie. I'll come back to her. Go on. These are the four children we currently have that are all under a schedule of death, every one of them. The little boy at the very top is Lewis, and uh, he is so very, very ill. He's in the hospital as I'm speaking this morning. We took him to the hospital last Monday, and he also is dying from need of a kidney. 
The other three children are Louis, another Louis, and Jose, and Cindy is in the middle, and they all need kidney transplants. But because of what Anthony said from heaven, because of what Anthony said, it opened our hearts to realize that even though we know that these children without a miracle from God are not going to live a long life, at least they will die with Jesus Christ in their heart. And they will be waiting for us when we enter into the gates of heaven. And so as we think about the necessities of the children, as I share with you this morning, one of the things that is very important to me is that you understand our children need to come to Jesus. God didn't bring them to our home so that we would be social workers. He brought them to our home to tell them about the Lord. And that's the prayers that I need from you on a daily basis, Daddy. Right before Christmas, Cindy came to me and she said, I want to be a princess. I want to be a princess. And so I had a friend in Little Rock find a princess dress (laughs) and he brought it down to Guatemala. But this is Cindy. Her mother has finally agreed. She's a little girl that was abandoned at the hospital when her mother found out she was that sick. But over a period of months, the doctor has convinced the mother to try to dedicate her, her, donate her kidney. So we're going to have surgery for her in just a a few weeks, but it's a very delicate situation with kidneys. But uh, that's our little princess. Go on. And this is Henesis. Many of you remember Henesis. Henesis is the little girl that had a kidney transplant. And she just spent two months in the hospital and it had nothing to do with the kidneys. She had something else going on that had been affected because of the transplant. But this is her when she came home two weeks ago. And I want you to look at her arms, but she is very healthy, although she is very skinny right now. But um, there is always hope. God always gives us hope that things can happen. So this is one of the successful kidney transplants. Dot. Here's the team that works with the children that are needing kidneys. And you'll notice that one of the Lewises isn't there because he is in the hospital Probably if you come to my house, you will not notice him, but he is absolutely the strongest Christian and the most compassionate young man I've ever known in my life. And that's the little boy standing next to Dottie. He looks like a little boy. He's in college. He's already graduated as an RN, and now he's studying pre-med. But he has such a compassionate heart for these children, and he is the one that God uh, spoke to through Anthony about the water behind his back. The two girls on each end, one with her hand on Louis, the other Louis's shoulders is uh, Julieta. And she's the one that took care of Anthony and was with him the day he died. And we thought she was going to be buried too. She just absolutely was destroyed. But God has, she, she is so filled with love for these children that are suffering. And the girl on the other end is Marilyn. Both of these are, all three of these are college students. And we actually have a place where Uh, The girls live together and the boys live together. We have a private place. We're getting ready to begin construction on a dialysis building where we can do dialysis. Uh, We've asked, um, we've put it out to people across the country. We need two or three dialysis units. We can get portable units for under $25,000 each. And we're going to build a dialysis unit and we're going to be able to take 20 or 30 children do dialysis on the property as we're doing dialysis with these children right now. But we want them to have the love of a family. We want them to know the love of Jesus Christ. And if we have to bury them, every thought in our heart, every thought in our mind is 
They're all going home to drink of the living water. Go on. This is Edgar, and you'll notice that he lacks a leg. Uh, Edgar came to us about a month ago, and that's the night that they came, him and his little sisters, and you can see they're crying. They're scared to death. They had no idea what they were getting into. It was 9 o'clock at night when the police brought them, and, and when I went out there to meet them, and, and uh, they were just so upset and so scared. But I want you to look at them now. This is Edgar with his new leg. We were able to get a prosthetic for him. And, uh, but he just, in the, his whole countenance just totally changed. He was without a leg for six years. He was run over as a child, a little bitty boy. His mama had him begging in the street and a car ran over him and took off his leg. But look at the two sisters. This is Kate and Allie. And now they're just smiling and just so happy to be there. And, and uh, God has just literally brought them to us and, and uh, changed their lives tremendously. Daddy. The girl in the middle there standing up, that's one of my teenage girls' classes. Every Wednesday night, I meet with the teenage girls and we are able to share things that uh, we can't share when the boys are in there. And on Tuesday night, I do the same thing with the boys. So it gives me a great opportunity to father them and to be able to talk to them about personal and private things. And they're very open. They ask a lot of questions. But the girl in the middle is Gabby. Gabby, Dottie? This is a better picture of her. You'll see that she's got muscular dystrophy. And Gabby is a child that was thrown out of the public school because she was handicapped and they, with her legs like that. And they said because she was uh, paralyzed from the waist down, then obviously she must be very stupid. And so they put her out of the public school. And not long after they put her out of the public school, her father committed suicide in her front yard. And she was the one that walked outside and saw him hanging in the tree. The first place she went was to our home. She came to tell me what had happened to her father. And I went down there, of course, with some of our people. And and um, we stayed with her and buried her father and did the whole thing and, and etc. And then our children wanted to help her. And so they said, can she start coming to school at our school? And she started coming to our school. And what you're looking at is Gabby, the college student, on a full scholarship at San Carlos University in Guatemala. And it's because of the love of the other children. They had such a love for her. And she comes down on her crutches to our, to our home every day. You know, she catches the bus there to go to college and, and she comes to all the services and she has since gotten saved, of course. And, but it's because of the love that she saw in the other teenage girls and the boys that just have such a respect for her. The girl that you saw a minute ago, and we'll not go back to that picture, but it was the girl that I was escorting. I was walking with her and I said, we'll come back to her. This past Monday, we, uh, we had a tragic situation. She, she came to us about six months ago pregnant. She had been impregnated by someone and, and uh, the courts told us that it was abuse and et cetera. And so we took her and, and we do take girls that are pregnant. We, we, uh, we will not turn away a child just because they have been abused and, and, and it's through no fault of their own, of course. And so we take care of them. And then when their babies are born, and we probably have a half a dozen now with children that uh, have been born on our campus and, and continue to live there. And 
We would never take a child away from a girl, no matter how young she is. We want them to be able to be a mother to that child. And so we know that if they stay with us, that with Dottie and other women on our campus, that they can guide her through motherhood and help her to be a mama, even though she might be just 13 or 14 years old. We have, we have two girls that had two babies before they were 15. Um, so we've, we've had some very young children that have had babies of their own. All of them are normal. We haven't had one baby born that was, you know, uh, uh, retarded or physically deformed or because of the incest, because it was the father that impregnated them. But last Saturday, uh, a week ago, Dottie had a, a shower for the girl that you saw, Johanna. And Johanna, uh, was scheduled to give birth in two weeks and, when we arrived in Lake Charles Tuesday, uh, Debbie was waiting with me and the, our David in, the sta- in Guatemala was on the phone to tell me that Johanna had just given, that her baby had died. And uh, so they forced labor and, and she was born and the umbilical cord was around her neck. But the reason I show the picture is not because of that. It's because of the problems that we have with the courts. This was her second child. And we didn't know that. And she's only 15 years old. And this was her second baby. The first baby had died exactly the same way. And if the courts would have told us the situation, then we could have monitored that. We could have anticipated that. And we could have done much more than what was done, thinking that that was a first-time pregnancy and that she was doing very well. Because all indications were you know, that she was doing very well. And what happened was that our nurse was checking her and didn't hear a heartbeat and they took her to the hospital. So, you know, this is the problems that we have with the, with the courts. They're just not honest with us. We've had them tell us, they bring us boys and they tell us that this 14 or 15 year old boy is a very good boy. He was just, you know, uh, was thrown out on the street. And then we find out he's a gang leader or he's doing coke or he's doing selling cocaine or something of this nature. So another area of prayer is, and, and I pray it every day, is that God would give us favor with the courts, that they would be honest with us so that we could better take care of the children that they give us. I'm not going to turn a child away unless he's physically dangerous to the other children. But at the same time, if we don't know the whole story, then we can't deal with the situation uh, as best we can. Dottie, this little girl on the left, her name is Dalmi. She cannot speak Spanish. And not only can she not speak Spanish, she doesn't speak Kachukel. We have a large number of children at our home that are Mayan Indians, and they speak Kachukel. Kachukel is the largest of the 27 Indian languages in Guatemala. So we have many children that can speak Kachukel and translate for us. But this girl speaks Mom. And Mom is a language that is only spoken in the highlands that I showed you at the beginning And so she does not speak any English. But the girl on the right is Lucia. And Lucita is a girl that speaks mom. She's the only one that we have on our campus that speaks mom. So when we have a child that comes to us that cannot speak Spanish, of course we team them up with another child that speaks the language so that they can in turn sit with them in class, you know, help them through the Bible services and things like that. And they pick it up very, very quickly. But this is another example of how we use our children to minister to the other children. 
And it's a great opportunity for these girls and boys to be able to tell the newcomers about Jesus in their own language rather than, you know, have to wait until they can start to understand my preaching. Okay? This boy on the left is uh, Ovidio. That's the only boy we have named Ovidio. But his mama, he's from the highlands, believe it or not. And his mama passed away from cancer. His father is a very good man, and his father remarried, and he married a very good woman. She now has cancer. And for the last year, Ovidio was, had quit school in order to take care of his um, stepmother. And about a month ago, or six weeks ago, the, mother, the stepmother called him in, and she's very, very ill. She's dying. She called him in, and she said, I want you to leave home. And he started crying and she said, why? Why do you want me to leave home? And she said, Ovidio, I want you to have a future. I want you to have a life. And if you just stay here and don't go to school and take care of me until I pass away, you'll probably never go back to school. So I want you to go and find somebody that'll send you to school. And this boy came over 125 miles on a bus to our village went to our judge and asked the judge in that village, do you know anybody that would send me to school? And so Ovidio is now one of our children. And, and uh, his mother came last weekend before Dottie and I left to see him. And she's very, very ill, but he's very happy. And that's Kike, one of our children that live in our house. We have a number of little boys that live with Dottie and I in our home. And Kike has been living with us since birth. Go on. This is a tricycle race we're getting ready for. You can see it's hard to get them lined up. But uh, somebody had given us a bunch of those big wheels, and we were trying to get them. They kept falling off the big wheels, and so it looked like major abuse when people come to visit. They had knots and bumps and bruises all over them, but, and nobody won because nobody could go straight. They all went every direction. Go on. <laughs> you love your church, don't you? This is one of the churches that Daddy and I found a few months ago. And you can't see inside the church, though you could if, if it wasn't on the PowerPoint. Uh, but there's concrete blocks about this big, sit up about that high. And there's six of them in there. And that's the six chairs for the whole congregation. And I want to tell you a story that we believe in with all of our heart. But I want you to look at this first. Go on. These are, these are the churches that we build in Guatemala. Our children take an offering every Sunday, and we match it. And of course, other people help us, and we build these churches. These are pastors' homes that we build for pastors that live, in, live without a home. Go on. Here's some of the churches. Go on. Okay. All right. These are the one of the bottom is a pastor that no, that's a Sunday school building. We built the church is at the top. But I want to introduce you to a little Guatemalan man by the name of Jose. Jose is a young man that in 1989 came to me and he had an infant in his hand. And he said, my wife died giving birth to my baby. And I do not want people to take away my baby. And every church I've gone to said they would take it if I would let it be put up to adoption. But I just want somebody to take care of my baby until he's eight months old. 
because I drive a bus. And Donnie and I, of course, took the baby to court with the man and we agreed to take the child for eight months. At the end of eight months, he didn't come back. He didn't come back for two years. When he came back, he came back, he had been in prison. He had been arrested and been put in prison. In prison, he got saved and filled with the Spirit. When he came out of prison, he came to my house and he said, I want to live for Jesus. I want to build churches and teach pastors about the Lord. And I thought, well, that's a pretty good deal. And so I could use him to do such a thing. And over the last 22 years, Jose has led us to over 100 congregations that now have new churches because of him. But one of the churches that you saw a moment ago is the most unusual of all the churches. Jose came to me about eight years ago and he said, Mike, I found a congregation of one, one man, one Christian. And this man loves God so much. And he asked us if we would build him a church. And I said, Jose, it's a lot of expense to build a church for one man. And he says, well, he also needs a house. So I went to the little village where he lived and there was a Catholic church almost as big as this church. And so I, you know, we prayed, we knelt out there in the jungle and we prayed and we asked God what to do and we built him a church. It took four months to build the church and to build his house. They called me and they said, would you come and dedicate the church? When I went to dedicate the church, there were over 350 Christians that that man had led to the Lord in the four months that we built the church. What you see up here is Jose, the one that brought me to that man. And what you see behind him is a Sunday school class in that church. Recently, we had to build a pavilion for that church because they are reaching over 1,000 teenagers in the villages around that area, a place called Hacienda Maria. But look at this. Go on. These are not Christian children here. These are the children that Jose and that Sunday school class go to minister to at Catholic churches on Saturdays every Saturday of the year. And that's them lining up to get Bibles, to get clothes, our children, we take an offering from our own children for toys, for clothes, for shoes. And our children go into their closets and they go into their drawers and they take their own clothes and they give it so that these children can have clothes and they can see the love of Jesus Christ. Here's another picture of the children playing. Uh, you see the boy jumping. Look how high he's jumping. I thought that was pretty unusual. You know, because I, I, I was looking for a snake or something, but I didn't see it. I just saw him way up in the air. But you know what they're doing? They're listening to the gospel. They're listening to the gospel. And you know how it started? One man. One man that loved Jesus. One man that wanted to lead his family to the Lord. And then he led individuals to the Lord as they would pass the church. And that's the outcome 
And now we have an off, off, just a beautiful, beautiful church. Now we're building another pavilion. And pavilions for us don't cost that much. God has blessed us so much that a non-Christian, largest concrete company in Central America has donated all of the concrete to pour the slab for a pavilion that will seat 1,000 children. So it's all taken care of. Last Sunday, last Sunday, a week ago, Jose was at the house and I gave him a check. I I gave him a, a Guatemalan check to start the steel on the pavilion. And so for about $6,000, we can finish this pavilion. But it gives you an idea. And the only reason I tell you all these things is because that's who you are. Over 20 years, you've been part of Dottie and I. Over 20 years, you've been praying for us. Over 20 years, you've been, you've been faithfully giving and helping. And because of that, literally thousands and thousands of people are coming to know the Lord in Guatemala. The, the ministry is far more than our home. It's far more than the 4,000 that we have raised. We have four children right now in seminary that are becoming pastors. We have one that is already a pastor and has pastored for three years. Our children are growing up with the desire to stay at home, to stay on staff, and to give and to be part of the community. Go on. We're going to go real quick now. Here's our high school class. You can see our facilities for the high school. It's a beautiful high school. Elementary school is in the background. The blue building there is our high school. And uh, go on. We just had this wedding. This is Billy and Olga Marina. And they they have been with us for many, many years. And as you look at that picture, we, we married them last November. And uh, Tim and Patty are dorm parents. Many of you have seen pictures of Tim and Patty. Patty was one of our first girls. Patty is Olga's older sister. But now Olga and Billy, both college graduates, are going to take over a dormitory of little girls starting in at the end of March. Go on. And this is uh, Elder and Yuleta. Uh, their, their marriage two years ago. Go on. And this is... Hoseas is proposing to uh, Haiti, and they're both on staff. They're both tremendous Christians, and uh, they're both college. Uh, he graduated from college. She's got one year to go, and they'll be getting married in December. And then another couple, uh, this is Victor Hugo and Celia. Many of you remember Celia, the girl that came to my gate and said, Would you take my little sister's? And she was working in a, in a factory. She was 12 years old and she was working in a factory. And I said, I can't take your sisters. What, why, where, where's your parents? And she said, my parents were killed. And I, I work in a Korean factory and I can feed my children, my sisters, but I can't educate them. And if they don't get an education, they're going to be stupid all of their lives like me. And it broke my heart. And I said, would you like to be in school? And she said, that's more than God could do for me. And today you are looking at a girl that is a registered nurse. She's a graduate from nursing college. She is on our staff, is one of our six nurses on staff. And this is what God has done. Some of you remember Byron. 
one of the best boys we ever had that fell dead. He was 22 years old in medical school and fell dead. And when his mother came and she started screaming, My son, my only son is dead. This is his brother that was standing there when she was screaming, My only son, my only son is dead. This boy turned so far away from God that you couldn't have reached him with a laser. And I had to put him out because of his rebellion and because of his meanness and because of his blasphemy and everything else. And two years later, he came back and he took me in his arms and he said, Daddy, I don't know how Satan did that to me, but I want you to know I'm born again and Jesus is my Lord and I'm going to serve Jesus for the rest of my life. And now they're they're engaged and they're going to be married in November. Go on. This is a Sunday school class. This is Tito, one of our teachers. We're about through. Go on. Now you got to see that. I mean, you just got to look at that. When your children graduate from college, you get to wear the cap and gown if you're a college graduate. So if you want a hat like that, come to Guatemala. <laughs> but that's Marlon, and that was her graduation day, and, and uh, she's a precious, precious, she's one of the best girls we've had. Go on. There's our transition home, and we've started our transition home, our first three boys, Uh, moved into the transition home this week, and so we're very excited about that. I'm going to stop it, Dottie. There's a lot more, but we're just going to stop right there because of of the time. And I I just want you to understand from the bottom of my heart how appreciative Dottie and I are for your love for our kids and for your trust. You know, one of the things that keeps missionaries on the field is that people trust them, you know, because you do. You, You give us money. You give us time. Many of you have come to Guatemala, so it's cost you money, cost you time. That means you trust us. And there's no greater privilege on all, in all the world than to know that God you know, has people that trust you. Do you remember the teachings of Jesus? Nowhere does Jesus ever say, trust me or, or obey me. He says, trust me. Over and over again, Jesus said, trust me. He never says, obey me. He says, trust me. And I am the most privileged man that I know to have people that trust Dottie and I so much that you give us your prayer time, you give us your finances, you give us so much more because you believe that God is touching the lives of children everywhere. But He's an awesome God. He's a tremendous God. And I want you to pray for these children especially pray for the four kids that I've been sharing with you about with the kidneys. You know, it's never easy to bury a child. But when you know where they are, when you know where they are, and they've got that living water, you know, then the tears that you shed become tears of joy. And the pain that you feel becomes the foundation to stand upon for the next child that you're going to have to watch pass away. But at the same time, Satan's not going to take their soul. He may take their body, but he's not going to take their soul. And that's where you and I, you know, or have to be together in prayer, is that God will allow us to live long enough to continue to preach the Word and share the Word and stand on the Word and watch these kids come to the Lord Jesus Christ. So thank you so very, very much.
Wow, that's powerful, isn't it? Goodness. You know, there's a scripture in James. In James chapter 1, verse 27, it says, This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. In this ministry that you just got a chance to see um, a little insight into is a ministry that's been rescuing orphans for many years. And, um, you know, it just blows me away just hearing him uh, talk about all the, the the different things that they go through, uh, just the uh, the sacrifice they make and the price they pay to reach out to all these children. But what a what a powerful ministry, amen. What a powerful ministry. And so, listen, we want to conclude by giving you a chance to get involved, and, and many of you are already involved. But just want to talk to you about. First of all, we're going to receive an offering. And uh, 100% of what we receive will go to the ministry. And as we've, we do in the past, we'll continue to do, is we'll also um, add some of our, our tithe of our tithe and, and include with that, and then we'll send a check um, to, to the ministry. So we're going to do that in just a little bit, okay? The other thing is that um, we're going to be going, uh, Pastor Brandon and the youth are going to be going in July uh, 14th through the 21st. And they're going to be going out there. And for, for uh, a lot of churches come in there and they do VBSs and do, uh, you know, VBSs for the younger children. But uh, as, as we've been going for the last few years, we, you know, somebody, I think it was Miss Dixie, thought it would be great to do something for the teenagers. So Pastor Brandon and, and some youth and whoever else, uh, adults want to go, we're going to be going on July 14th through the 21st and just go do some uh, whatever they need as well as minister to the youth. So if you're interested in that, we're going to have an information meeting and you can sign up in the foyer. There'll be a place where you can sign up and no, no obligation. You can just come to the information meeting, find out all the particulars about it, and then you can be a part of that church, okay? And then the third thing is, is sponsoring children. And I'm going to ask uh, Brother Mike to come up in a little while. Oh, why don't you come up now, Brother Mike? <laughs> <laughs> Sit down. I, I was ready. <laughs> so he's going to tell you a little bit about how, uh, how you can sponsor a child if you're interested in doing so. We had uh, one of our girls put this together. It has a picture of a child and just a short. This thing, uh, both parents are chronic alcohol- alcoholics. So this child, five-year-old little boy by the name of Alfonso, uh, is abandoned because of alcoholism in the family. Our sponsorship is very, very cheap. It's $35 a month. And what we ask is that people will pray for the children and write them at least four times a year. And, you know, I I have 55 new children in the last three months. 55. These are the ones that have the kidney problems. This is the little boy that lost his leg. So I've got them out here in front because this is going to take somebody very special. This is not... You know, this is not going to be a child that you can say, I can't wait to watch him 10 years from now, because unless God just reaches down and touches those kidneys, he's not going to be here. Uh, But but they need a mom and a daddy. They need somebody to love them. They need somebody to be praying for them. And so we have children of all ages, from the little bitty ones. We have some even younger than five, 
all the way through. Here's, I think I saw, uh, here's uh, Guadalupe Sandra. She's 16. And, and so we have all kinds of girls here. Uh, it's, it's very, very important that, you know, we be able to have people praying for them. These children don't have anybody that says, I love you. They know that Dottie and I do. They know that people that come down there do. They know that our staff does. But they don't have somebody that writes them a letter. They don't have somebody that they know is thinking about them every day like a normal mother and father would be thinking. And honestly, if you look me in the eye and tell me you can't afford $35, and then I'll just tell you, do what you can do. But we need sponsors. We need people that will pray every day for these children. Everywhere I go, people say, Mike, what do you need? And you can imagine with 500 children what all you need. You know, you need everything. But physical things are not important. What we need is prayer. We need people to pray that these children would be saved. Wouldn't it be horrible for a child to come to our home that has been so terribly abused by the world and then not know Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be terrible if, if God could not get his message into their hearts? So we need you praying every day that children that come to our home would come to know Jesus Christ as quickly as possible. The second thing we always ask is that you would pray that they would be healed emotionally. This is Sandra. And this is her mother died and then her father sexually and physically abused her. And so then her father married another woman and the woman threw her out on the street. So not only was she physically abused, not only did she lose her mother, but the woman that came into the house didn't want her either. And so she's 16 years old. She's a great kid, but she needs somebody to love her. She needs somebody to pray for her. She needs somebody to care about her. And this is what this is all about. We don't have much written at the bottom because uh, some of it's too graphic, too horrible. But once you, you start to sponsor them and you email me or, or write me and ask me their story, I'll give you the story personally. But we don't put it on the web. And some of these kids you won't even find on our web page because they are under, they're under arrest. Not them, but their families are under arrest. They're going to have to go to court and testify. And we've had one child kidnapped and we've had one child murdered that was to testify against a father that raped them. So we've had some pretty lousy, horrible situations that have occurred. But every child needs a parent. Every child needs a mama and a daddy. Every child needs somebody to pray for them. So don't run off to eat lunch today. You know, just come and look at their face. Put your hand on there and ask God, you know, should I get involved? And $35 a month is, it's almost nothing really. But I, I would appreciate it and they would appreciate it even more. Thank you.